Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Today we have a friend and actually one of my clients uh, with us today, Miss Renee. Welcome to the show. So excited to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad you're here. I appreciate it. Would you mind kicking us off, introducing yourself and let everybody know a little about you? Happy to. So my name is Renee Schulte and I live in Urbandale, Iowa, which is outside the center of Des Moines in the center of the state of Iowa. So we're pretty much in the center of the country um, in the Midwest. And so lived there for five years now. Um, I've been in Iowa for, I think, close to 20 years now. So I've been a long time in the Midwest. Uh, my background is I'm a therapist by trade. I'm licensed as mental health counselor, worked in addictions and worked in uh, therapy. My specialty is teenagers, sort of delinquents, my favorite and their families. And then um, since then, I ran for office. So I have a political background. I was a state legislator for a while. And now I work in policy for mental health. And my current passion is really working to make mental health healthier. And that's by making people healthier, their partnerships and the policy that goes with it. What a beautiful combination, like the policy and the addiction stuff, the mental health coming together. That's like not a skill set that a lot of people in the field have. No. And uh, my favorite story, when I ran for office, um, I was raised in Illinois and my parents talking about government, it was never really anything we ever did. It was like running for office wasn't really a thing. And if you know anything about Illinois, a whole lot of their governors go to jail. So it really was not the thing that we were supposed to want to do growing up, you know. And so um, when I came to Iowa, I was actually recruited to run for office. And when somebody told me I'd be great at it, and there's a long story that goes with that, they surprised me at a lunch and told a retiring person from the state house that I was going to be the next senator. And they had never told me that. And so I sat there and actually had to excuse myself to the bathroom so I didn't throw up. And when I came back and sort of figured out what in the world's going on, somebody said, well, why would you want to do this? And I said, well, the only reason I would do it is to fix the mental health system. And they said, nobody runs to do that. And I said, well, then I'm not going to do it because that's the only reason I would run. And so I did run and I lost some and I won some and we redesigned our mental health system. And so I got really excited about policy through that process because it was a really messed up system and not that it's perfect now, but we've made some great strides. And so I've continued to work in that field ever since. So for me, it kind of all goes together. And if you can't be a healthy person, you can't really make healthy partnerships and you can't really make healthy policy because you're not thinking straight. And so you've got to have health in all those areas. And so if, if you've worked in addiction very long or been around that, there's a lot of problems in our systems and that's from some non-healthy choices. And so we need to talk about how do we make that system a little bit healthier for everybody. I may take us down a rabbit hole, but I'm going okay. to tell you what my vision is and part of why I'm doing all the steps in my dream. I can't wait. So part of my goal is to build my recovery playgrounds, right? Where adults mm-hmm. can go and, and people that are suffering from boredom and the kinds of things that come with trying to not be an addiction and, and playing, that's the brick and mortar piece. But I, I've come to discover that you need money and power slash influence to make a difference in any big movement, right? So my dream down the road is the, the money that comes from all the things When I went to rehab for gambling addiction, the state of Kansas paid for it because they had to deal with the casinos and treatment was part of it. 
But I had a friend from Wisconsin, for example, who had to pay for it out of his pocket because his government didn't have that relationship. So there's things that I want to do, like figure out how to make it so every state has money going back towards treatment. I want every raffle ticket to have a gambling message on it, like an awareness message. So like there's things I want to do with awareness Mm -hmm. that I have no idea where to begin. I just know that I need to have a voice. So I'm working on the voice part of it. Absolutely. And and politics and policy is a big piece of it. And so what's, what's unfortunate is a lot of people are turned off by the ugliness of politics and they just think that they don't matter and that their votes don't matter and that they don't I want to get involved because it's too ugly or too mean or whatever, but things don't change unless you step up. And so when I got elected the first time, I won by 13 votes. And that means seven people flipped their vote a different direction and I wouldn't have been elected. And so every single vote matters. And so for one, for your audience, if there's something that they're passionate about in that area, just getting out to vote is so important. And so we're working now, like making sure if you've got a felony conviction in your past that you get your voting rights back. Uh, making sure that people can have that access to votes because if we don't vote, you can't really make a difference. And that kind of goes with that partnership piece I talk about too, is the networks and the people that you have to know, right? There's there's some good people in that and there's some really bad people in that. And so you can learn that one the hard way if you're not really careful. But I love your dream. I think you're totally on point and I think you can do it. You have no reason not to. Well, watch out. I might be enlisting your help down the road. <laughs> well, I'd love to. So our, our casinos in our community um, actually have a fund that they have to pay back into. Portions of their winnings have to go back into gambling awareness programs. And so that actually is a one. Now, I don't know how much addiction treatment they pay for out of that, but I know it's absolutely part of how we have casinos built out in our state. And we were one of the later states to bring those on board, which is kind of funny, actually. They created them where they had to be on water. So they'd build these man-made ponds and stick them on these flotation-like bubble things um, until they were floating so that they could be created. And then eventually they decided the water wasn't important and they could dry that out. But it's just kind of funny how our state kind of went about it. But we do have funds that go into prevention and treatment. But I know there's always more that's needed. You just reminded me of a crazy story. So when I was a truck driver, we used to, I used to drive for Schaefer and Mm -hmm. they had a base. It was, I feel like it was close to Des Moines. It was a, it was a pretty important city wherever this was that our yard was, but the river boats were there. Yeah. And we would, of course, I would manipulate us into getting to stay at that yard so we can go on the boat. And one night we get on the boat. I, I was married at the time and we go our separate ways, right? Like I had my favorite machines and he went and played blackjack and I'm in the ladies room and I'm talking to someone and she's like, tells me that we're cruising. I didn't have any idea that we left the dock. So now we're truck drivers. We're probably under a load. So I go to find my husband to tell him he had just found out too. Cause some lady who was broke sat down at the table next to him and He's like, well, why don't you just leave? Well, I can't. We're like in the middle of the water. So no idea, which is which goes to show how scary and sickening gambling addiction really can be. Wow. Yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't be uh, Des Moines would not be where your rivers are, but it would be either on the Mississippi. We would have one side of us in Missouri to the south. And so, yeah, you could get there, but probably not right in Des Moines. But that's a that's a pretty scary story. I see what you're saying. But yeah, a lot of our huge truck stops are right next to casinos across. And we have 
80 that's the major across the country and we have 35 so we're a big trafficking area too and so those two intersect in Des Moines and so everybody going from Canada to Mexico and everybody going coast to coast right coming through the middle of this and so of course we have casinos all for you up and down 35 and all across 80 just in case you need to stop off you know and the biggest truck stop in the world right the biggest truck stop in the world is on I-80 yeah so they I just totally gave $10 million to the University of Iowa football team off of the truck stop at I-80. So let me tell you, if they can give a $10 million grant to a university for football, they're doing all right at that largest truck stop. Wow. I know. Who knew that was such a business? That's interesting. Hmm. I totally digressed. I'm sorry. It's but okay. it's, in, it's interesting to me. And I honestly, I've never really talked politics. Like I know that I need them and I've been guilty of, I feel like it's a full-time job to know, to have an educated conversation with someone mm-hmm. um, that I'd really have to watch and study and see through the smoke and mirrors of the news and all of that. And I've just never invested the energy. So I tend to not talk about it, one, to not cause arguments with people because people get so crazy about it, but also because I just didn't feel educated enough on this space. Yeah. Well, what's really scary, and depending how you look at it, I came in as a, I was a children's provider and I had foster kids in my home and I was coming in from that direction that the system was broken. And I got to the building a freshman my first year and was the expert in the building on children's mental health issues. And I was like, holy cow. And that's sort of what I had assumed because some people think that, you know, legislators or politicians get up in the morning just to screw your life over. Right. And they're like, oh, my gosh, they're just making my life bad. But really, truly, they're trying to make the best decisions they can to help people. But sometimes they're really uneducated about how to do it. And so what they think is helpful to you when it actually goes down the line is not super helpful on the ground. But it's our fault if we haven't told them how it works. So if, you know, as a foster parent, if foster parents don't advocate and say, hey, that doesn't work for me and here's why, they're thinking they're helping foster parents and foster parents are dealing with the fallout. And there's just this gap of communication. And so as soon as I got there, I realized you can't know everything about every issue. And so people come in from all walks of life. It's a citizen group of people. So there are some lawyers, but there's a lot of farmers and a lot of moms and a lot of, um, we had hairstylists and we had um, bankers and we had, I mean, you name it, the kind of background teachers, retired teachers, we get a lot of those. And so they don't know about mental health or addiction or anything else, unless it's touched their family. And that can be helpful, but often not, they don't know enough about it. And so I figured out, really fast that, you know, we as a, as a mental health group of people need to be more involved. And I was kind of like you, I didn't pay attention. I didn't really, you know, think it make any difference. And then I figured out, holy cow, it makes a lot more difference. So I got a lot accomplished because in a short time, because it, people cared about it. They just didn't have anybody to tell them what to do. They wanted to fix it, but didn't know how. And so it'd be, you'd be surprised. And maybe you just need a friend or so that's living in your area that, is in an elected office of some kind that could help you. I mean, that could be city or county or state or federal, you know, some level of government. You'd be surprised. They just need to know your story so they can figure out how to help. Yes. And that's a big part of the whole mission is just awareness in general. To your point, so there's there's addiction and education around that. But there's also this whole behavior addictions that either some people know or they really don't have any idea, you know, the gambling, shopping, sex, all that stuff. And we're in crisis mode with the with the drugs and and the alcohol. So it, it 
it seems like hard to balance the attention, I guess. Yeah. So, and unfortunately they go together. Like you said, those are, we call them comorbidities where you have one and the other or or dual diagnoses or co-occurring lots of different words you can use for it. But um, therapists used to think they could just, you know, well, you need to sober up before you come to my office and then I'll help you. And, and that's not the way it really works. You actually have to be able to do both. And so our state, one of the things we're behind on and, and trying to improve is that dual programming where somebody comes, no matter what they have, any kind of addiction, and that we can help them kind of, we're creating what we call access centers where people can come to that door, whether it's substance or an issue. It doesn't make a difference which one is top that day, but then they can get the right direction and get some help because nobody is that linear. There's nobody with... Well, I just need my thinking helped today. Almost nobody, almost nobody. And so it's like why we think that we can just compartmentalize people into treatment makes no sense. And so same goes true with healthcare, right? We've sort of pulled our heads off and said, oh, mental health is over here and the rest of your body takes care of over here. That doesn't work. And so we have to treat people like whole people. And the substance part impacts your whole self, your physical body, as you probably know, as well as your head and how you're thinking. And so that holistic approach, we talk about it, but systems are really behind on actually implementing it because we like our specialties and we want to just do this piece that's maybe the pretty piece or the tidy piece and not the ugliness of this other piece. And so that's the kind of stuff that the state, most states and the federal government are working toward, are really reinforcing and really helping uh, providers out there say, look, these issues don't happen in a silo. And you have to treat people as a whole person. And so the federal government's putting a lot of money into this. So some of the things you're asking for, you should start seeing more of it because the federal government is saying, hey, we need to work with the whole person. And that's awesome to see the federal government taking a lead on that. So it doesn't have to be state by state, like you said about your friend, where one did got help and one didn't. If we have enough federal dollars in the system, then everybody can get that help too. Thank you for explaining that to me. And you're right. And I, I have heard of it getting better in some cases. Like there's someone in our group that when he was in for substance abuse, they recognized that he had the gambling addiction, but not everybody's trained equally either. Like you said, you know, and there's mm-hmm. different initials at the end of it. And um, it, yeah. where I went to treatment, we had a wing for us gamblers and then there was substance abuse on the other side. And in some cases you might've graduated substance abuse and then you went over to the gambling wing and vice versa. So If I heard you right, you're saying that in Iowa, it might be this access point and it could be anything and there, it'll be like a referral center. Is that kind of the object? Yep. So the the concept is that you can come to that place and then get an assessment of whatever the need is and get you sent to the right place. And so they would have beds in the place itself or connected to their, their immediate circle where you could stay and get assessed, figured out what's going on. But then if they need additional help, like a gambling addiction where they had a sex addiction or whatever else, they would get sent to the right place. And so with that warm transfer, so it's not just, here's a list of numbers, go find it for yourself, but more, hey, they have an opening and you're going to start on Monday and you're going to stay here till we get you there. (laughs) And so it's more of that, you know, help guide them along kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's a newer idea because everybody Um, really nationally, you had your behavioral health, which was substance. And then you had your mental health, which was like more cognitive brain conversation therapy. And they were separate camps and people don't live like that. And so we're having to make some super adjustments across the country, but it's for everybody's good. Um, Maybe painful, 
but it's for your, it's for the client's good. Right. For the client's good. I'm appreciating your expertise on all of this right now. I would one of the other things that I want on my my wish list is the screening, right? Like you go to the doctor and you're reminding me of this as you're talking about the whole person. They might ask the alcohol questions. They might ask the suicide questions, but they're not asking, you know, about the gambling questions or, and I guess it would be 800 million questions if we put everything that potentially could be out there, but screening just in general would be helpful, I guess. It really would. And, and people need to be able to recognize a problem and then, Unfortunately, on, on this kind of addiction, the gambling addiction side, the substance side, somebody's making a lot of money from you being addicted to it. And so sometimes that makes it very challenging to stop it because, you know, they need players in their buildings to continue to play, to gamble. And so, you know, they don't want to work super hard on screening, right? Because then they wouldn't have people to come. And so we've got to figure out where is a versus fun versus addiction and where that they should be involved in that conversation and having them at the table as responsible owners. And if you, you see any kind of alcohol labels now have labels for pregnancy and different things. And, you know, the alcohol companies has been a lot of lawsuits against them. And so through the years, that stuff has improved where you see more warning labels and they have to do a certain percent of their profits has to go toward, you know, awareness and those kinds of things. And so you could do the same thing on the side of casinos, um, like I said, I know that's true in our state. And so that could definitely happen because um, you could even do things like paying for some of your treatment. Um, per- casino profits can help pay for gambling treatment for so many people or things like that. And so there's a lot of creative ways to get them. It's like, look, if you're going to continue to have people come and you are giving them a vice that could get them addicted, then you have to help pay for some of the treatment that has to happen on the backside. And so there's a lot of different options in that that you can kind of think through, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't like the inconsistency. That's all. But I oh, felt yeah. that way for years. Like I didn't like it with my CDL either. Every state has. Oh, a every state. Data. But that's so. Yeah, I so get it. It's just my personal little pet peeve, I guess. But so I, I totally went off the rails. But I think I'd like, if you don't mind sharing, can you tell us a little? You said your passion is for teens. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what you said? Mm-hmm. So can you maybe? There's probably parents out here listening. In my mind, I have the gambler listening, and then I have people impacted by gambling or addiction listening. Okay. I don't know the whole truth, but this is my assumption. So for those out there that might be having teenagers that are struggling, or maybe they don't know they're struggling, maybe they just know that their performance, whether in school or their attitude, can you share maybe some insight on how they might know it's addiction or mental illness versus just a normal teenager being a teenager. Yeah. So one of the things parents need to really be concerned about right now that's newer because it wasn't really around when I was younger is gaming, right? And online internet gaming and internet devices and internet usage. And there's a ton of data out there if parents want to know about how many hours of any of this, any of us should be doing. Right? How many hours of screen time should adults have? How many hours should teenagers have? How many hours should kids have? And below the age of about two, the answer is zero, but we do it anyway. We hand kids you know, our iPads and stuff. And so it may start out looking like they're just playing video games. And even I've heard families say, well, during the pandemic, my kid was locked at home, but he had his friends in the games. And so he had socialization, he had connection. 
well, that's all fine and good, except that um, that's not what research is showing. So as kids are younger and the younger kids are, and the more they use these devices, their brains are starting to change because of all the flashes of how screens move from topic to topic to thing to thing. And that leads towards more of an attention deficit type of mindset where your brain, you get bored if you're doing something on the same, like sitting down at your schoolwork and doing a note, a piece of paper or your workbook or whatever, because that's super boring because it's not changing every five seconds, right? And so we're training these kids to need interaction all the time. Now you come from an addictive background and you know that's exactly the piece that was reward system for you and your brain, that da-da-da-da-da, and then the lights and the dings and the reward systems that are built into those machines, they're built into the games that are on your phones, they're built into the games that are on your iPad. Now, they may not have money attached, but that's how it starts, because then you win something, it goes cha-ching, and the lights ding, and you know, and they're like, the numbers count up, and you hear that little ch and you're like, oh my gosh, I won, right? And so, that feeling is exactly the same on a kids game that it is on a gambling machine. There's absolutely no difference. And they've created it the same way. And it rewards, hits that reward system in your, in your body. And so, first of all, the fact that you get addicted to that is not your fault because your brain is made to crave that stuff. That is how you, the serotonin levels in your body, it craves that. And that feels like pleasure. And so, unfortunately, the more pleasure you feel, the more you want and you need to do more to get it, right? We build a tolerance well, start thinking about kids in your room. So things you should watch for, can they go without their tablets and their phones and their iPads and things? Can they walk away from that for time? Or do they spend some time outside? If the answer is no, you might be thinking you're going to have a problem. Um, do they have a way to spend money that you don't know? Because even on some of these games, um, like think about, I don't know, some of the little just video games, that the little games that you play on your phone, you know, you have to, you can buy more tokens, you can buy more get lives, you can buy more stuff. Well, can they do that? And if it's not on your phone, think about like the gaming device. Is it hooked up to a credit card where they could buy more games? I heard a story, uh, one of my friends, I think his son was like six or seven and he'd figured out how to buy whatever the tokens were he was playing on his PS5 at home and bought a new game and a new life and new this is a new that's and Dad had to figure out how to put the parent parental controls on that to, to shut it down because he started getting the bill, right? And so I know other kids that get a hold of Alexa and Alexa goes shopping for them because Alexa hears their voice the same as they would their parents. And Alexa, all of a sudden stuff starts showing up at home and the kid has done it. And so the kids are super smart watching parents do it. So mm -hmm. two things I would do. I would watch for screen time. And see if your kid can go without it. And if they can't, start figuring out a way to let them wean off of it so that they can. So they need to go outside. They need to have life away from a screen. And then two, make sure you're protecting whatever that funding mechanism is so that they don't just have cash, um, your credit card or somebody else's credit card or whatever, because that's where it starts is they have to be able to fund it. And once they get it funded, and then it goes on. Then the third thing I'd say is as an adult, kids model what you do. So you can't tell a kid don't be on your phone all the time if you're sitting at dinner staring at your phone. Good point. It's not, it's not going to work. And so if you don't want to play video games and you don't want your kid doing it, you can't sit there and play video games all night and be like, you need to go do your notebook work. <laughs> you know, you've got to show that example. So those would be the top three things I think I would do to look at for kids. 
So what would what would happen if they someone was on the I'm picturing actually a family member that the teenage son does not come out of the room, like just basically to eat and go to the bathroom. What do you tell that parent? Like they're going to go down the track of addiction, just like you did for treatment because the DSM five, which is our big diagnostic statistical manual, fifth addiction. uh, One of the last pieces in it that they're studying right now is online gaming and video game gambling. All of that stuff is now a disorder that they're looking at adding to the next edition. So the way the DSM works, the way that whole statistical manual works, for it's for diagnosing people. So like if I were going to diagnose you, that's kind of my diagnosis book that I go to to be like, okay, you have all of these rec- all of these things and this is what I would give you as a diagnosis. When the back of the book, they put the next disorders that they're studying or looking at to consider for the next edition, this is exactly what's in it. And it already has criteria that they can already tell is a problem. And they're going to be putting that in there as one. So what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing gaming addiction centers. You're going to start seeing that. So what the treatment is going to be exactly like it is for gambling because it's the exact same reward system in the brain being activated. I, I've seen that at, um, at a gambling conference. They were already starting to talk about yep. it. There's actual software blockers yep. that they could put on yep. um, computers and stuff. And and you raised some good points. Like what I heard the fella talking about when you talk about in the game, like when you're talking about buying stuff, I equate it to like Candy Crush, right? And even yeah, in yep. PA, yep. they talk about, yep. really, we shouldn't be playing those games. Right. The, our definition of gambling, you know, for money or not, and that kind of stuff. But because of all that pleasure. But they were saying that even in the kids' games, there'll be loot boxes. I've never seen a real loot box, but those are the kinds of things and that the kids would go to school, right? And see the people they're online with and say they don't have the same money as their peers and they can't have access to this stuff. Um, It now becomes maybe a bullying situation, a self-esteem situation. I mean, it can go in so many ways. You probably know that better than me. It can. And so that's why, I mean, we sit back and think, oh, they're just playing kids' games. That's how harmful can that be? But it's the same reward system in their brain. And the really unfortunate part is, and a lot of people, I don't know how much brain development you've talked about on your show, but a, a teenager's brain, um, they're not fully formed until 26 for boys and age 23 for girls. And so the decision-making portion that's the frontal cortex of the brain is the last to fully develop. So they're not making awesome decisions as teenagers. Have we noticed? Of course they don't, but they don't fully have a brain to make the best decisions. So they're training their brain in an addictive fashion while it's developing. So that pleasure center in their brain needing that pleasure all the time is in development as a child and growing to where it's going to always need more stimulation to feel pleasure than somebody who wasn't constantly in that space. And so we're creating people that are not paying able to pay attention as well and that are pleasure seekers because we're training their brains as it's developing to need those little lights and gizmos and dings and flashes. And so I can tell you, you can watch, I mean, there's way people smarter than me. They're saying that it's just not awesome for our brain development to let these folks be on screens all this time. And that can be from games to even just watching too much television, just all the flashing lights and stuff. And depending upon 
what they're watching, if they're doing it for pleasure, you're developing, overdeveloping that pleasure center in your brain where you're not going to, the normal pleasures of life aren't going to mean that as much to you because your brain is just prepared for bigger pleasure all the time. And that just kind of ramps up, whether that's alcohol, drugs, gambling, or whatever. And sometimes people go through different stages, right? Because one kind of goes for a while and you kind of get bored and then you move to the next one to try to amp it up to feel better. And that's how that ramp goes. And so we just have to really watch screen time for kids and our example to them about what we're trying to get them to do. And then if you need help, you got to reach out and it's going to look just like an addiction of any other kind. And so, you know, I think one of the things we used to talk about, I don't know if it's still a thing, but if you can go without alcohol for 30 days on your own, you're probably not addicted to it if you can walk away. Yes. But if if you can't, then you probably need some help. So same thing might be true with gaming, right? If you can walk away for 30 days and not play your Candy Crush, then maybe you're okay. But if you can't go a few days without having to tuck in because, boy, you got to I'm into fishdom as my things have to feed the fish. And if I have to, oh my gosh, have to feed the fish. You remember that one a little while back that was like gardens and you had Farmville. to pick your vegetables and all, oh my gosh, I never Farmville. did that Love one, but it. craziness. So, I mean, if you're like freaking out because your garden's overgrown and in two days you're having flashes, you've got a problem. You got to like, you got to cut the stuff off. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think we have to be thinking about is like, what's the value add to that? And think of how many hours of our lives how many hours of our lives are we spending doing things that mean nothing and making somebody money, but not us, right? We yeah. could be doing, doing something more entrepreneurial with that time. Right, Bobby? Exactly. Um, geez, I feel like I could talk to you forever and I wish I didn't have more obligations today. We might have to have you come back on here too, as well as have you on RES. We'll see what we can do. I, I'll help you however I can. Well, you're talking my language and... It took me a long time to get educated on the things like the DS5 yes. Yes. and comorbidity and, it, you know, the language thing. And yes, it's um, it's a whole new world. And I mean, you're legit educated, you know, formal education and you're in it and, and working with it. So I really appreciate your perspective and sharing what you did today. Well, thanks. I hope it makes sense. And I hope I spoke in a language that you can understand. It doesn't do you any good if I throw out all these big flowery words that nobody gets. But if we can tie it back to Candy Crush and people are like, oh, that's what we're talking about. And that's what we're talking about. Because I can explain the parts of your brain and the the hormones. I can tell you those things, but that doesn't make any difference because you may not understand what that's talking about. But what does matter to you is you understand the pleasure that you feel when you win a game and the lights and the sounds and all that stuff go off and you get that. So if you can understand that, then that means that's what your kids are feeling. That's what other people they're dealing with are feeling. And so you've got to help them replace that. We can't just take away everything that's pleasurable to somebody in treatment and make them go cold turkey where their life stinks. So what are we going to do to help support them and replace it with quality, good, loving, caring things so that they feel pleasure still because we're not asking people to go a life without pleasure that's crazy so we're asking people to be let's be smarter about where you seek it and healthier about our choices and so that requires us to really think about that and so you can't just tell your kid put your phone in the box and that's it because you could end up they could end up really struggling if that's their social connection if that's their friend circle if that's where they get any pleasure in life 
you got to give them some other alternatives. So I'm not saying don't take the phone, but what are you going to do instead? And that's where a professional can help you kind of walk through making a plan of, okay, we're going to stop doing this. And to do this less, we're going to need to do more of and make your, what is my more of list to do? And that could be going outside, riding a bike, playing a game, playing a sport, going for a run, whatever. Um, You did a really good job of putting it in layman's terms. So I think that people would equate it to Candy Crush and the pleasure. You kept saying pleasure instead of dopamine, right? Like that's, that's the secret sauce. You delivered the message very good.